0: To Heavenly Father, God, I want to thank you so much for this Sabbath day, for a break from our busy weeks. I want to thank you so much, dear Lord, for how you've been moving and working in our lives. I want to thank you, God, for how you've purposed us and where we are right now. I want to ask before I speak that your word speak through me. And I also want to ask the Father, Lord, that your will be done. Thank you so much. I was rummaging through some emails, and I bumped into a newsletter I hadn't seen in about four-plus years. I had worked in another country, and was sending newsletters back to kind of share my experience. In the past decade, give or take, I had the privilege of working in various ministries around. I've worked in media, which is my background. I've worked in coal portering, disaster relief, camp counselor, young adults. But in this situation was the first time I had been a long-term missionary. I sat through thinking about the memories, going over my mind of those experiences. And as I sat, it all went back that Sunday afternoon. One foot after the other, I tell myself, that's the only way I'm going to make it home. I was returning from a weekend trip to town to attend church and to catch up with fellow missionaries. It's about 530. I decided to catch a bus and head out. For I wanted to make sure I was home in time where the news TV station was. Recalling the necessary buses needed to get there, I took bus A, I took bus B. But unfortunately, I was too late for the last taxi. In front of me was two mile stretch to where I would call home. I stood there with my bag and my Spanish expressions trying to rubbish and convince the taxi drivers to take me the two miles. It was now dark. I was exhausted from the busy weekend. I was stuck. It was about 10 o'clock at night. The junction, which was usually full of people vending and selling things, was empty. There was about two or three motorcyclists, taxi drivers, but they weren't familiar with the location I wanted to go, and they weren't willing to take the foreigner down there. So I stood there in the dark. I was stuck in the dark, so to speak. In my pursuit of understanding what to do next, and on my understanding what direction to go, was it really God's purpose for me to be there? Because it's a question you usually ask yourself when you have no other options. And as I sat there and I rummaged through, as I stood by myself in another country, in another continent in the dark. One challenging question that has challenged believers for millenniums is understanding the will of God. The question goes through, what does God want me to do? Where does God want me to go? When I Googled the expression tens of millions of hits came up, each one having the solution to the problem. And as I looked through, I saw that some recommended that you go on some indefinite journey somewhere and you will definitely find your answer. Others, on the other hand, said, Take yourself away from your cultural norms, separate yourself, and then. You would find the answers. Arguably, in my opinion, I truly believe after understanding and believing in the existence of God, the next question in mind is now what is His will? And I propose that this is a very important question. Important so, as Pastor Greg Matt put in his book, Finding God's will. Seek him, know him, and take the next step. He writes, the connection between God's will is connected with the connection between God's power. Intrinsically, he states, that once we understand the will, we are connected with the power. That is why In Philippians 4.13, we have an expression which is confidently written, "That I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 8, verses 5.13. Matthew 8, verses 5.13. And please say amen when you're there. And it reads, When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking him, Lord, he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and thy servant will be healed. With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. In verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. It's a very famous story, but there's something that caught Jesus' attention that I, I hope we didn't overlook. If we go back, we see this is a foreign soldier asking Jesus to do something. But the soldier had connected in his mind that if you say who you are and you can do what you say you can do, then you have the authority to do whatever you will. So I don't need you to come and present yourself. I already have the belief that your power and your will will work together. So there's something amazing about that that makes Jesus step back with amazement. Intellectually, for those of us who have grown up in the faith, we can relate this in a conversation. And as Christians, we understand the Lord is capable of not only sustaining our lives and providing for our needs, as we know from our own personal testimony and those of others, but he's also able to position us in a way to be a witness and to also have influence for him. But intellectually it is one thing, putting it into action is the other. Too many times we get stuck because we're not able to show that same confidence the centurion had. Too many times we get stuck because we understand it's a little bit scary to put your life into someone else's hands. It's a little bit scary to think that my whole life's plan is not in my control. Because we reason to ourselves, our lives, our goals, our dreams, our possessions, our relationships, might be altered in some way that we don't choose. or As we might fear, it might be removed altogether. And others sometimes think, I've seen great people and I've read about them, but they went through some tough stuff. I don't know if I could go through that. And others might not be certain to even take the first step. It's dark. The journey is long. And uncertainty supersedes certainty. It's dark. It's Sunday. It's about 11 or 12 o'clock at night. I've been staying there for an hour. Can't convince anybody to let me go. I have one bag in one hand. I take a deep breath. And I take the first step. to better understand God's will in our lives. Let's dissect for a second the will of God. Please turn with me to Genesis 37, verses 5 through 11. Genesis 37, verses 5 through 11. And when you're there, can you please say amen? I know this is another famous story, but there's a principle I want to show, and you'll see it in a second. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. They said to him, listen to this dream I had. He said to them, sorry, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in a field. When suddenly my sheaves rose and stood upright, While your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he had told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother? and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to, to the ground before you. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Joseph being the youngest until Benjamin came around was saying things that are very preposterous in his own right. But we know the story, so I don't need to beat the story out, but you'll notice that Though there were actors in the story that tried to alter Joseph's will, God's will superseded theirs. So you'll notice in the context of Joseph's brothers, they never killed him and they sold him into slavery, and he still proceeded forward. Potter's wife did not get the best of him, and even the forgetfulness of the chief cutbearer did not hold him. inside the jail cell. So point number one is that God's will on one hand is sovereign. If God says in a sovereign way, this is going to be done, nothing in the universe can stop that. period. Even when actors have their choice of free will, they cannot supersede God's will. We see this especially in Proverbs 19, verse 6. Or excuse me, 16, verse 9. Sorry, my dyslexic so. 16, verse 9. Proverbs 16, verse 9. And it states... In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. The principle we should take away from this is that we should take confidence that if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Now, there's a second aspect to the will of God. This aspect comes about in a command. If God commands us to do something, he's given us this thing called liberty, of freedom of choice. So if I command you to follow the Ten Commandments, I still give you the choice to do so or not. As Pastor Piper points out as we look at Jesus, says, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not all who do the will of God, excuse me, not all who do the not all will do the will of God. He says so as well. Not everyone will enter the kingdom because not everyone wants to be there. If we this could also be proven if we turn to Matthew 23, verse 37. Matthew 23, verse verse 37, to also show a very important point because I want to merge these two together and I want us to make sure we catch this. There in Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus quoted saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stone those who sent, who sent to you, how often I've longed to gather you your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you would not let me. Or how about the children of Israel in Jeremiah 17:13, which I'll read. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called to you, but you did not answer. So it's clear that God has a sovereign will, but he also has commandments that can be broken if chosen to do so. So on one hand, we have the centurion who respects that sovereignty. But we must be careful to never attribute everything to God's will just because it happened. Because too many times, especially in modern day, we use the term act of God to attribute to something that was not necessarily his will. But in sovereignty, he let it happen. So why does this matter? Why am I telling you this? Listen to this very closely. The correspondence between these two wills are the two things you need in a situation. One is a God who is strong and sovereign, enough to do something for good. And the other is one who can empathize with you. On one hand, God is a sovereign high king and nothing happens apart from his will. But on the other hand, Christ is a merciful high priest and sympathizes with our weaknesses and our pain. The Holy Spirit conquers us and our sins when he helps us. But he also allows himself to be quenched and grieved and angered by our will. His sovereignty is invincible and his will to command can be grievously broken. So, what about me and what about you? how can we align ourselves with God's will? One of the most famous people that we know when dealing with faith is a gentleman by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 19th century. He was an orphanage director, and he is famous with establishing 117 schools that educate over 120,000 students. He organized... And received and dispersed and in total in his time date 1.3 million pounds worth of money, which is equivalent today of 90 million dollars. But never once did he ever ask anybody for money. Anytime he had a problem, he would go in his room he would pray to the Lord until a miracle took place. He's one of the ones that people talk about across Christendom as a person who dealt with faith. And he has penned seven, and I'll give you eight different things to look at when deciding if a decision is in the will of God. Number one, and most importantly, we need to make sure that our will is not our will, but his will. We're not coming saying, God, do this because I said so. We're coming because God is sovereign. We see this most especially in Matthew 26, verse 39, when Jesus says, my father, if it's possible, may his cup be taken from me, but let not my will, but your will be done. We realize that there's, we have to respect the sovereignty of God. Number two, when determining the will of God, cannot depend solely on your feelings. So many times, feelings could take us places that we didn't intend to go. But by depending on principle, we we're able to move forward in a way that points us in the correct direction. Especially when we look at the feeling of fear. Too many times, decisions are made in fear, though fear is not a good motivator in the long term. Number three, got to dive into the word. Because by the word of God, the Lord is able to show us revelations in such a way that will help us point us in the right direction. Number four, we need to depend on providential circumstances. Just as the Lord led the children of Israel through the Red Sea and through the wilderness, he constantly reminded them of how many times he had intervened in their lives to help them and convince them that he would do it again. Number six, we need to consult with God's, with godly influence. Sorry, you're right. Number five, thank you. If you consult with those who do not have inclination with God, they will give you wisdom that is not inclined with God. And number six, we need to ask God in prayer to review his will. That's been put there purposely. Because by this point, we are now in tune to what his will will be. Number seven, it's time to make a decision. We've got information. We have finalized that information. Now we need to decide what to do. And number eight, we take a decision back to God to get peace on the decision that it is lined up with his will. It is through this process that we confirm the guidance of God. It is also critical to continually remind ourselves that God's word will not return to him empty. If he wills it, it will take place. And as I close, I remember walking down that road, that dark country road, It was probably one or two o'clock in the morning at the time. I remember at points I'll stop and fall asleep while standing. Pop open, hoping to be in a bed just to see more road. I saw cars drive by every couple, every 30 minutes or so, but none of them ever stopped. By the time I actually made it back, My whole ordeal, which should took no more than 45 minutes, took about three and a half to four hours. But the good news was I was now safe in the protection of the residents I was in. In just the same way, when you follow God's will, you are now safe in the protection of his power. And as the title says, found in the will of God. Psalm 16, verse 11. Thou will show me the path of life. Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore.